as we have celebrated. It is done. It is finished. The debt is paid. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, you know, preachers have a sort of different way of talking to one another. I'll just let you in on this. Uh, I call it preacher talk. Um, but when they come together, they really do care about one another, and they want to hear about one another and what's going on. And uh, so often they have some ways of talking uh, to one another. To just say, well, how are you doing? They realize that can be very, very complicated, and you need some time uh, if you're going to really uh, have an answer to that question. So um, some, some preachers will say, well, how is your church going? Well, that can be really complicated, too. And it can create sort of conversations of comparison that aren't really helpful because only God knows what is really great that's going on in a specific church at a specific time. But almost any time you can ask a preacher, we'll ask a preacher, what you preaching this week? Because they all understand uh, that, well, Sunday's coming. <laughs> and so uh, we're getting ready to, to, to preach. We're getting ready to bring the word and what are you preparing? And it's a great, a great way to learn from one another. But this is the one week when no one asks, what are you preaching this week? Because we know what we're preaching now. It's going to take some different angles and some different approaches. But we know what this weekend is about. We've been here many times. Uh, there are only a few different scriptures that point directly to the story. And so you choose one and you grab hold of it. That's what I've done for this weekend, and I'm excited to bring the word to you. I'm going to be talking about the impact of resurrection. And I want to suggest to you that resurrection is the most impacting event in all of history. Now, you might say, well, that sounds like preacher hyperbole right there. But let me say why. You might say, well, what about the cross? Isn't it the cross that divides history into two pieces? And the cross does but only in the validation that we find right there at the empty tomb. And, and so that's why this is so very important. The cross, without the victory of resurrection, is just a sad story. And there are a lot of sad stories in the world, but it is resurrection uh, that brings an, an attestation, a, a vindication of everything that has preceded and the truth of life. So I'm going to read from John chapter 20, and uh, it's one of the accounts. And I'm going to ask you uh, on this gospel weekend to stand where you are in honor of the reading of God's word as we hear these words we've heard many, many times before, and yet they ring with a truth to us that is fresh and new. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Well, it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, 
and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus lay, one at his head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. Standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, And said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now let's pray. God, we thank you for gospel, for good news, and we thank you for life that comes into a place only known for death. Teach us out of that what this means. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So on the first day of the week, uh, Mary comes to the tomb. Now, we know that there were other women. We don't know if they were kind of following behind, but we know from the other Gospels there were other women. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that. Uh, But they're not mentioned. The focus of John and his Gospel is on Mary Magdalene. It's the first day of the week, which was Sunday, and it was the day of new beginning. It was after the Sabbath, the ending of the week that ended with rest, and now it's It's a day of new beginning. But this was a first day of the week like no other first day because it it is a first day that that really transforms everything. And if you think about it, Mary Magdalene was the first. I mean, John's very clear. She was the first to arrive and find the empty tomb. Uh, She was the first to be puzzled over the evidence that was there, the, the things that were going on and that were not going on. She was the first to realize what had happened, um, and she was the first to tell the good news. She's really the very first evangelist of the good news of the gospel that we find in the scripture. 
And why this privilege? I mean, I just find myself asking questions like that. What we know about Mary Magdalene, you remember I taught you a few weeks ago that when a preacher says, now now Mary, you need to say, which one? Let's do that. Which one? Okay, and, and that's because there are five different Marys in the Gospels. And so we, we want to know which one. And this is Mary Magdalene. She's the one that, that had been set free from seven demons. That's mostly what we know. We don't know the nature of the demons. We don't know much about what torture she had gone through in spiritual life. But we know that this happened, and it created a powerful connection uh, between her and Jesus that that was really unbreakable. If you haven't watched uh, any of the episodes of the new series called The Chosen, you can get it on YouTube. You should watch this opening episode of season one is all about Mary Magdalene. It doesn't answer all the questions, but we get some backstory of why she may have been tortured in the way that she was. What we also know is that she's one of the very few that stayed to the end at the cross. In fact, I would suggest to you, nothing could have gotten her away. Uh, And and. It's because of this bond that she had there. Nothing could have pried her away from being there with Jesus at this very horrible, hard, difficult time as he was dying on the cross. I, I think that if a, even if a soldier had come and said, man, you're going to have to step away, and she said, no. And, and even if a soldier had said, well, then I'm going to have to stick you with a spear because you have to get out of here, she would have said, go ahead. Because I've been tortured by seven demons far worse than you, fella. And he's the one that saved me, so I'm not moving. That's Mary Magdalene. And that's why we see her here toward the end. And it may have been that that, uh, resilience. It may have been that tenacious quality uh, that caused her to be the first to see these things. You know, even Peter had pledged. He said, well, even if I have to die, I I won't leave. We know that he did. He, He denied Jesus. But Mary, she never said that, but boy, did she walk it out. The scene that she encountered was baffling. It's still dark, very, very early in the morning. They come, and you know how it is in the dark. Now, we know there, there was a moon at that time because it was the time of the Passover. But to see things have changed, they're not the way that they were left. They, everything is askew. We don't even know what is going on. That The large stone has been moved. It's not where it was. And even more, the Roman guards that we heard were going to be here in the seal, the seal's broken and the Roman guards are gone. We don't even know where they are. Uh, And it it begins to look like it must be some kind of a crime scene. Mary did not go in, but she must have looked in because she does report. She's aware that the body is gone. She goes running. And Mary ran to tell Peter and John what was going on or, or what she had seen and to get them to come and investigate. I don't know what's happening. It could be very dangerous. And now there was more light, because now, now the morning is beginning to come. And it's kind of fun to listen to John's account, because John is the other disciple. That's who that is. And John is referring to himself, the one that Jesus loved. And he seems more concerned about telling you who got there first. <laughs> I'm the younger guy, and I got there fast. I, I outran Peter. Um, but they're both baffled about this situation. The linen cloths are lying where Jesus should have been. The face cloth is folded up. 
And apparently the body of Jesus had been stolen. Jesus, or John, uh, I think I'm back, but the tomb is empty, and, um, and to all appearances this robbery has taken place. And none of it made sense. Because really, this is not Egypt where people were buried with all of their riches. This is Palestine. This is Israel. And that didn't happen. John is the other disciple. And, um, and John later claims, when he's writing this, that he saw and believed. But he admits they didn't really understand what they were believing, or they didn't understand what they should believe. Um, but, but he said that he believed in some sense. He had not put it together. Uh, that when Jesus spoke about being lifted up, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men, all people to me. They hadn't put it together that this meant literally rising from the dead. So they leave, the two disciples. They leave and, and they go back home. And the, the big thing that struck me about this was that sometimes our heart realizes something that our head is not ready to process ever been there? Think about that for a minute. I would say that I've encountered more people in conversations about faith, especially here on this space coast where there's so much technology and there's so much uh, astronomy, there's so many uh, big technological things that go on that people will say, my heart is drawn, but my head is trying to process this. Same thing. I, I mean, no one had a way to fathom how do people come back to life? How do bodies reanimate? How does that happen? And much of our struggle of, of faith sometimes is caught in that, is that our heart knows where we need to be with God. Our heart knows where we need to connect with Jesus. And yet our head is still struggling with that. Two angels appear. And they offer a sort of counseling session to Mary. Woman, why are you weeping? I remember when I was in some counseling uh, training, uh, clinical training, that was actually one of the questions that a really fine trainer taught me, that if someone is crying, you don't put your arm around them, you don't, you don't wipe their tear. It, it's best to ask what's going on. And he had a way, he said, tell me about your tears. It's a really great question. And that's what the angel says. Tell, tell me about your tears. Tell me why you are crying. What's going on? Um, and it's one of those questions that's really powerful for us in working through the struggles of our head. Mary explains about the stolen body. She says, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And, and then she turns and almost runs straight into Jesus. Jesus is right there, but she doesn't recognize him. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever had a time when the thing you needed most was right in front of you and you could not see it? Maybe it was that time when you were talking on the phone telling somebody, I'm looking for my phone everywhere. I'm just going crazy because I can't find it. That kind of thing. Or you're looking for your glasses and they're on top of your head. Well, we have those times, but this is a much bigger thing. Jesus was right there, and, and she had not yet recognized, made the connection of what was going on. And many times for us, the answer is right there in front of us, and it's been there all along. So Jesus now spoke to her, and he asked the same question, the counselor question. Woman, why are you weeping? But he adds to it, he says, 
Whom are you seeking? It's a really important question, and this is why. Because if you're seeking a dead teacher, you won't find him. You're not going to find him here. If you're, if you're looking for a dead rabbi, you're not going to find him. You're going to find something quite different. She still didn't get it. She thought this must be the gardener. And she says, sir, look, I'm not really afraid right now. Just tell me where you've taken him. Tell me where the body is, and I'll, I'll take him away. I'll take him away. And then there's a moment that I'm going to call sudden impact. It's this moment when Jesus said to her, Mary. And it, it makes all the difference. It breaks through all of the stuff in her brain, all of the struggle of the moment, all of the scary things that may have been going on. We don't know exactly how all of the synapses started firing in a different direction. This was the name that he had always used. He called her Mary. This is the same voice she had heard before, but when they come together, there was a tenderness that no one else had ever had. In fact, probably Mary of Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, had heard her name uttered with disrespect a lot. The seven demons, we don't know what they were, but she had had a messy life before she came to know Jesus. And now Jesus says her name in a way that powerfully opens the moment. And immediately she turns and cries out, Rabbanai. That was her name for, for him, teacher. Oh, teacher. I'm connecting now. And he was the one who had taught her how to find life in the midst of a place where there was death. He had taught her everything of value that she needed to know, everything of eternal impact. So it was not just the sound of his voice. It, it was the connection of who he was, that he was there saying her name. The next thing we hear is, is Jesus responding. He says, don't cling to me. So we know she must have been clinging at that point. She must have responded, Rabbi, and grabbed him. And, and I'll bet that was a clinch. <laughs> And that, as she's uh, grabbing him, he says, don't cling to me. I have not ascended to the Father. We don't really understand the, the uh, reasoning of that, but I haven't ascended to the Father. I'm very real here. Uh, but this is uh, the very first of a whole new thing that's happening, uh, a resurrection body, a glorified body, very much like the body that you and I, as believers, are going to receive as we come into his kingdom. And he gives some direction. Go, go to the brothers and say, I'm ascending to the Father, to, and to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so suddenly we see that Mary is, once again, the first. Because she's the one who gets to go and say, I have seen the Lord. She's the very first. And there will be many, many more in the days that are ahead. She's the first person in history to make that declaration. We don't know why her. We don't know what reason, but we know she was chosen. This is the sudden impact of resurrection. And listen, it has these three elements, just very quickly. It's personal. Jesus spoke her name. I believe Jesus wants to get personal with you about resurrection. 
He want, and he knows your name, and he speaks your name. And he wants to connect with you in, in that personal way. It also brings forth a response. She connects with, with her name for him. And then it empowers a testimony that is literally unstoppable. This, this is the sudden impact that creates a change in the whole world. An explosive moment there that goes literally around the world. Because this, this is a testimony of power. The sudden impact of resurrection changes everything. Everything is now different. And it's much more than just any, any old first day of the week. There won't be another one like this. And yet it opens a whole new part of history. Resurrection changes everything. And this is the thing that sets our faith into a completely different category of truth. Our faith is different from any religion in the world. Any religion. And it's because of this that our Savior, yes, He died, but He was raised to life. And He comes to, in a personal way, give life and bring life to you. Everything is different at this point. It plants a hope for the future. And much more than a historical event, it empowers us for the future. Sudden impact of resurrection divides history, but it also divides your life and my life personally. There's a time before you connect with the resurrected Christ, and then there's a time after you connect with the resurrected Christ, and everything is different in that time. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, life was forever changed. Life is forever changed. And the resurrection releases a power uh, to take things that are dead and cause them to breathe again. New life in families and in relationships and in hearts and jobs and communities and nations. This is the hope of the world. And it's here that we discover that resurrection is always manifested in the presence of death. Think about it. There, there is no resurrection except there is death. Jesus said it this way. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Resurrection is always connected with death. Resurrection always comes out of the Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. We're going to look at this passage in the weeks that are ahead. I want to know Christ. And that's that, it's, a, it's one of the big Greek words, gnosko. Say that with me, gnosko. Gnosko means I want to know by experience. I, it's not just head knowledge. I want to know by experience the power of his re resurrection, Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain life, resurrection from the dead. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore uh, a series that I'm going to call simply Same Power. Now you might recognize that, but you might not. There's a song, it's been out, out about five years, it came out of the Passion Worship Movement. 
and it's called Shout Hosanna. We're actually going to close on it in a few minutes. And I hope that you will celebrate the truth in it uh, with our worship team. But it says these words, Shout Hosanna, Jesus, He saves. How many of you believe that? Shout Hosanna, He rose from the grave. That's what we're celebrating. Come and lift Him up, Hosanna. And then, and then there's a part in the song where it shifts and it says, The same power that rolled the stone away. The same power alive in us today. King Jesus, we call upon your name. No other name, no other name. That's what I want to invite you to explore in the next weeks that are ahead. A season we call Easter season or Easter tide. And next week we'll begin this series on same power. Because our call is to take hold, to take hold of the same power. It's not just some historic thing that happened that we read about in the Bible once a year. It's something that is to take hold of us. It's not some theological head game. It's something that empowers us for life. So I want to invite our, our worship team to uh, gather as, um, as I pray. And, uh, and let's just pray together. I'll, I'll invite you to go ahead and stand as we pray together and as we prepare to worship together once again. Father God, I thank you for this day of days this that we celebrate, this time in which we see all things becoming new because of the way that you entered into the place of, of death with power. And God, we pray that that same that that sudden impact might hit us and that same power might be released in our world. We desperately need it, God. And so we pray that you would begin right here with each individual, with each heart, with each family, with each relationship to begin to walk in that same power. In Jesus' name.